0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Where's This Going? Before we get started today, I want to thank my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. At U.S. Wellness Meats, all of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. They do not use any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. The owners are the farmers themselves, and they supply nutrient-dense, all-natural foods to professional football and baseball teams, colleges, individual athletes at the highest levels of every single sport, health professionals, respected gourmet chefs, fine dining establishments, and families all over the country and every state Canada, and Puerto Rico who are looking for the best food on the planet. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, for 15% off your order today at uswellnessmeats.com. And before we get started, I also want to remind you that I've gotten a few requests about uh, my website and where you can contact me if you are looking to potentially sponsor the show or just more information about myself and the the Where's This Going podcast. Please feel free to check out Felix-Levine.com. There you can find all pictures, photos, video versions of every single podcast. You can find contact information. You can find links to my sponsors. And if you are a sponsor and interested in sponsoring the show, there you can email me and we can try to figure something out. Again, you can also follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine, on Twitter at FelixLevine. And make sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast on both YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have just a second, drop a comment, drop a rate, drop a review, all of that good stuff. And let's get into today's episode. My next guest is an Australian biologist and professor of genetics at Harvard. He is leading the revolution on aging. He has a new book out called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. Please welcome the brilliant David Sinclair. David Sinclair, sir, thank you for taking the time today.
1: Felix, it's great to be on.
0: (laughs) So, uh, how I like to start every show. I actually didn't prep you before, but is there a little something that the world doesn't know about you from, you know, the podcasts and episodes and all the interviews you've done in the past?
1: Uh, Yes. Do I want to tell you? Um, Maybe. Let me see. Uh, Probably nothing that would make people think better of me um, let's see, we, uh, I like to draw. That's fairly harmless. Uh, I drew the illustrations, some, of the illustrations in the book that I've just put out. So that's something that's interesting, I guess. Um, there are some, there are some secrets about me that, um, probably aren't good for public consumption. Um, okay. I'll tell you one just as a, as a favor here and to everyone who's listening. Uh, I'm often asked to, Am I afraid of dying? And is that why I work on aging and trying to slow it down? And uh, the answer is no. I'm, I'm not afraid of dying at all. In, in fact, I'm, I'm the opposite. Uh, I, I used to speed a lot. Now I'm 50. I don't. But uh, I, I lost my driver's license on two continents so far in my life. So, and I drive the, the fastest car you can buy. So that's not well known. Uh, and it's not something I'm proud of either.
0: So... Did you ever imagine 20, 25 years ago that you would be in the position that you are today? Many call you the foremost force in the anti-aging field. Did you ever think this was the career you'd you'd go into when you were a young boy?
1: Well, uh, so d- did I think I would be here? Um, I certainly dreamed about it when I was a teenager. And I remember first when I was four years old that that was a time when I, I realized that I wanted to help humanity some way. But I actually didn't care much about humans at first. I thought that uh, we were the plague on the planet. And I think a lot of young people feel that way. My kids tell me that. Dad, why are you making people live longer? They're just going to wreck the world. Um, But I've grown to really like people. They're really interesting. uh, And I've softened my view. Um, So four four years old, I was thinking, uh, it really sucks that everything around me is going to die. You know, and and we all go through that when we're young. We just forget about it because it's too painful, but it's deep in us. If we if we sit, if you and I were to sit here for five minutes, and deeply meditate on mortality and brutality and the pain and suffering, we will have tears in our eyes. And if if you don't cry when you think of that, you're not thinking hard enough.
0: Hmm. So. Well, first, speaking of kids, uh, your kids, do your, do your kids know exactly what you do and do you inform them on kind of when you're doing all your studies and the
1: progression of them? Yeah, I do. I talk probably too much about my work at home. Uh, uh, but they, they're they like old kids. They're, they don't really appreciate it. Um, in fact, they act as though it's not a big deal. It's hard to know what they really think. They have spent a number of years of their lives in the lab coming in on weekends which serves two purposes, um, one of which is I get to hang out with my kids, second is I get work done. But uh, so I have teenagers now and uh, they, they just roll their eyes like, oh, dad. The other day I was um, recognized at the airport with my family. Somebody from across the whole hall, hall shouted out my name. Are you Dr. Sinclair? And, you know, it's, I was okay with that. I said, yeah, fine, but can you imagine my, my teenage daughters, they just wanted to run away. Uh, But, yeah, they they think it's interesting. I have one child. We have a child who's a boy. He's 12, Benjamin. And, you know, this is a parent's dream come true. He says he wants to take over from me when I finish. And uh, as I wrote in my book, but I want to repeat it, uh, I told him that it would be really hard to get to this position. It's a lot of work and you have to be really smart. And he says, well, if I can't work in your lab, I'll just go work for your competitor. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, he's a, he's a funny boy, actually. But uh, it's pretty pretty nice to see that, that at least one of my kids is interested in what I do. Um, and it is going to be a multi-generational thing. It's not that I'm going right. to solve aging in my lifetime.
0: And so speaking of kind of how you got into it, um, for people that don't know much of the background on your life, will you just give us just a brief background on what kind of Made you gravitate towards this field in the beginning, and I remember I think I don't know where I was listening to it, but uh, basically saying that you know friends and people around you, you you some backlash for kind of going into it and saying you know aging is is a disease we can solve it, um, and will you kind of talk about those doubts and your progression along as you made your way into this field of study, and now you know where here you are to, here you are today.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's never easy when you say something that nobody's thinking about or thinks is crazy, you know, just ask what happened to Galileo. Uh, And so when I, I'll tell you actually how I got to this thought of aging as a disease. What I like to do, and I've done since I was five, is imagine that there's an an alien species that is looking at us and judging us to see if we're worthy of membership in, in the great group of civilized species and so what what that helps me do and I still do that today is get rid of all of the politics all of your preconceptions about our society about what we can do what we cannot do blank slate look at us as though you're a doting parental species how are we doing I think we're doing really badly we're pathetic we we, can, we barely came down from the trees and I'm certain that if they looked at us they would say Look at them, those apes. They haven't even figured out that aging is a thing. They just accept it as natural. It kills them all. They all suffer. They spend 10 years in nursing homes. You know, you can imagine, and I I think it's pretty, pretty obvious to me, that any advanced civilization finally figures out this is something that you can do something about in the same way that we've now addressed cancer and heart disease and all these other things that kill us. But we were blind and still are largely blind to the fact that these diseases are caused by aging, hmm. right? The, these diseases that we try to treat when we go to the doctor's office or you're in hospital, these are essentially what happens at the very end of aging that causes us to fall off the cliff and die. Why aren't we asking what drives us to that edge in the first place? And cancer, let's take cancer for example. My 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 mother, almost said my wife, listeners. <laughs> <coughs> no, my... my, my my mother had lung cancer and so I'm all for lung cancer research. Any medical research is better than nothing um, and certainly better than you know, the, the whatever it is, $100 billion we spend on coffee every year. But we spend very little money on aging research. But what drives these diseases? Uh, cancer, for example, smoking increases your chance of getting lung cancer by about fivefold. But aging between age 70, well, 20 to 70 raises it by about 500-fold. So if you could stay young, almost certainly you wouldn't get sick.
0: So what, at the root of it, it sounds basic, but what is, when you're aging, what is really happening?
1: Well, that is the the real key question. And 10 years ago, I, I would have said, we don't really know. We've got a list of things. And people have tried for over 100 years seriously to figure this out. But we finally have the technology to understand this. What used to take... $2 $2 billion in a decade of work I can now do in my lab on a, uh, a candy bar-sized thing for a 100 bucks in a day. So we can go really fast. And what we're learning very quickly is that there are hallmarks of aging, which are things that we think drive us to old age, things that go wrong, essentially. Uh, the loss of the ends of chromosomes, telomeres, uh, loss of your stem cells, what are called senescent cells build up in our body. These are zombie-like. Uh, not dead, but half-alive cells that cause havoc in the body. Anyway, the list goes on. But what I've come to think, I can't conclude. No scientist can ever fully prove anything. But what I think is going on is that these hallmarks are driven by a single process. There's an upstream cause, as we call it. And so instead of tackling each of these tributaries on a, on a river, why not dam um, or go upstream and, and figure out where these are all coming from? And I think, I think we found it. It's going to take more work, but there's a lot of evidence now from my lab over the last 10 years. And that is that aging, if you boil it down, is just basically an equation. That itself is shocking, right? Wow. But it's an equation that just des- describes the loss of information due to entropy. And so boil it down even more, simplify it even more, our bodies just lose information over time. So how do you make them not lose information? Well, there are a lot of things you can do. The usual things that we figured out just empirically by by experimentation and accident: uh, go hungry, so I'm intermittent fasting like you. Um, lose your breath, in other words, you know, run on treadmills, climb stairs, move. Uh, get your body hot and cold. Other things you can do. There are some supplements that uh, we can talk about later. But these are all things designed to make your body hunker down and survive. A very ancient survival circuit that we've discovered and my colleagues as well, that maintains that information that you need to survive. And, uh, and more recently we've figured out that there's actually a backup hard drive of that information that we can access and reset the cells so that they actually go back to behaving like they were young again.
0: And where is that, where is that backup hard drive?
1: Uh, well, in five years I'll be able to tell you. Right now we don't know. We know what the reading, but you know that it is. exists.
0: That's that's, or you think that it exists. No, we
1: know it. We know it you exists now. We know that it exists. In yeah, two years ago I couldn't have told you that, but now we know it exists because what we can do is we can use a gene therapy, using three genes which are called Yamanaka genes, put them into cells, reverse the age of cells, which we can measure now, and uh, those cells behave like they're young again. And if I gave you those cells and you you're a scientist. Uh, you would say these are young cells. You couldn't tell the difference. They're actually reprogrammed to be young again. But that's that's a fancy parlor trick, taking cells and making them young again in the dish, so what? Maybe that's good for stem cell therapy, but what we really wanted to do was to test if we could reverse the age of living tissue in a living animal that was old. And that's what we're about to publish sometime next year. Uh, the paper is available publicly online if you Google me and... Google uh, website called BioArchive, which is a a free public database, you'll see that we've been able to reprogram the eyes of an old mouse. And the eyes are, I think, one of the hardest things to fix. There's nothing that really fixes vision yet. Uh, And nerve cells become old very quickly in the body. In a mouse, by the age of one year, they can't see anymore. And I'm 50 and I'm already you know, starting to look at my menu a little further away, especially in dim light. So I'm suffering from the same thing as mice are. And what we've discovered is it's not because the eye is degenerating or we're losing nerve cells in the eye. Those nerve cells have just forgotten how to be young, that they've lost the information that tells them how to read the genes the way they did when they were young. But we know there's a backup of that because when we put these three genes into the eye, first of all, We test the mice, they can see again like they were young and if we go into the back of the eye, we can now measure the age of the retina, the nerve cells and they are literally young again and turning on all the genes that they did when they were young but forgot how to.
0: Okay, science aside for a quick second, I'm just wondering, do you ever, when you're in the lab, feel like there's such great power and and what you're doing is so... um, Not a lot of people can understand it
1: no, I, I don't feel that way. The moment I do, then it, it's the end of, end of me, right? You've you got to be humble and realize that the more you know, really, the, the, more, the, the less you know. So I'm, I'm very well aware that we're only scratching the surface of, of what's actually out there to be discovered. But I, I will admit that one of the reasons that I really enjoy being a scientist and have continued this career with many other opportunities... Um, including retirement by the way Um, I do this because it's a a huge thrill knowing something discovering something for the first time Mm. it's the feeling that I'm sure explorers get when they discover a new mountain or climb a mountain it's exhilarating to be the discoverer of it and then you get to tell people about it and I love talking about things and describing them and I'm a storyteller too so, yeah, it, it's fun. But do I feel powerful? No, it it, it really is. Um, it does m- make me even more humble to discover things like this.
0: Where do you feel like on 1 to 10, 10 being we know everything about aging, 1 being we know nothing, where do you feel like we are right now?
1: That's a, gr- that's a great question. I haven't been asked that at all. And uh, I would say where we've just gone from a... A two to a four, wow! So we've doubled. We've got a lot of practical work to do, all right? We, we're still far what do you from there. Well, similar to another field, let's go to physics. In you know, we had we had uh, start with Newton, and then you go uh, some of Galileo's work, going all the way back to Aristotle. You can see that a lot of these things progressed seemingly very rapidly. Mathematics in 18th, 19th, 20th century. But even though it feels like you've made a great leap, okay, great, we've got quantum mechanics. We are only just starting to develop quantum computers. Um, you know, now we have satellites. But it, there's a lot of hard work to do. But the, the I would say the easiest part is the paradigm shift, a new idea. Ideas aren't that difficult. You just need to be open to them, I think. And so I, I don't think that I've done... I'm certainly not, not saying that I'm Newton or Galileo. Gosh, for heaven, heaven's sake, I'm not saying that. But I'm trying to give an example that everyone will know, and that is that there's a, there's a leap. I think we've just... If this reprogramming stuff is true and there is a backup hard drive, that we've gone to a new level of understanding in the concept. But the practical application, how can we actually have drugs that take advantage of that? A lot of work to do. And I also think there's a lot more we can discover about how can you access that backup hard drive. Right now, we're using a technology that's probably going to cost a few hundred thousand dollars per treatment, which is fine if you've lost your eyesight, but it's not clearly for everybody. We need to bring that cost down. That's going to take a lot of innovation, discovery, and we're working on that. My hope is that when we talk again, um, we'll have made a breakthrough in that we could just drink something, and it would reprogram the body.
0: Right. So that was kind of getting into it. Speaking of potential, I suppose, drugs or something you would drink in the future, what would, in your ideal world, that look like, say, when we get from a four to a to a 10?
1: Uh, what does a 10 world look
0: like? What does a 10 world look like in the world of anti-aging and finished drugs,
1: I suppose? Right. Well, Well, we have some drugs under development that I would say would would be a five, which is, uh, for example, deleting those zombie cells in the body. There are drugs that are underway, hopefully will work, hopefully won't be toxic. Um, We'll get to a six or a seven probably in our lifetimes with some of those medicines. We already have a medicine that you can get from a doctor that I believe does slow down aging. Um, It's a diabetes drug, but that's not available to everybody yet, largely because aging isn't a disease yet. Is that metformin? It's metformin, yes. Uh, but a 10, a 10 is a world where, you know, we're now talking probably within the lifetime of, of kids born today that you can reprogram the entire body to go back 20, 30 years. Because if we can reprogram a retina to see again without causing any harm, we've seen no downside, no tumors or anything like that, I think we're we will figure this out, how to chemically reprogram not just little parts of the body like the back of the eye, but the whole body. So imagine a world, and this is imagining, okay, so my colleagues who are listening to this, I'm not saying this is happening tomorrow, but it could be that when you reach 50, that's you, or you have a test on your 50th birthday and the doctor says, right there, you put it into the little machine, it reads it, it says you're biologically 65. And, you know, then it's, it's like you've just been given cancer or the diagnosis of cancer. So then, what you do is uh, the doctor would say, Fortunately, uh, you were, you were uh, infected with, or you've been, you're, you're one of these modified humans. You are one of the lucky few that way back when you were born, uh, you and your kids and your offspring now carry these reprogramming factors in every cell, mm. right? We, we're kind of pathetic because we're natural, we don't have any modifications that we can turn on. But we've done this in mice, so we can do it in humans if we want. And that would be the doctor says, here's a course of antibiotics. Doxycycline is what we use in my lab to turn on the reprogramming genes in the eye so it works in the mouse. So imagine that, here's a treatment for aging, take it for three weeks, come back in, we'll test your age again. And when you get back to 35, stop taking the medicine. And then you got. and we don't know how many times you can repeat this. We've done it once. And we're now testing, can you do it twice or a hundred times? Imagine reprogramming your age a hundred times. We'll take a quick break because I
0: want to talk about Manscaped. Support for Where's This Going? comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for all of your family jewels. How many men here use the same trimmer on their balls and their face? Men, I got news for you. That is just nasty. That's why my friends over at Manscaped created the only tool you need to shave your balls. It's called the Lawn Mower 2.0 for a reason. The Lawn Mower 2.0 is an electric trimmer worthy of getting up close and personal with your family jewels. Best part is, it won't nick or snag your nuts. It's perfect for travel. It's small, so it fits in your travel bag. It has a convenient USB charger, and it's TSA-approved. And of course, let's not forget about the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? When it comes to hygiene, Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job, and your body will thank you. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com. Go check it out today. Now let's get back to it. How do you convince people who, I mean, for humanity as long as we've known it, you know, everyone it feels like aging is a part of life. Trying to get them to get rid of that idea. Or would you, do you even agree with that? Do you agree that aging is a part of life? Or would you say that it's a part of life, but we can manage it, we can reduce it, we can kind of get rid of it in the best sense, but it still is not inevitably connected with humanity
1: and people will die? Great question. Yeah, so is this natural and always going to be part of humanity? And I always like to look back at history, as you can tell, as a guide to the future. And if you think that cancer is natural and part of humanity, and heart disease is natural, part of humanity, then so is aging. But why do we focus so much on heart disease and cancer, but then leave aging as though it's something we shouldn't do anything about? That's craziness. You know, it's one of the few things about our lives that we accept. We don't accept being cold or hot. We've developed air conditioning. Wow. We don't accept that we have to walk everywhere. We developed cars and airplanes. We don't accept that we have to go outside with just our bare crappy skin, we put on clothes. You know, you get the point, right? right? Why do we have to accept that getting sick at 65, 70, and 80 is acceptable? Of course, it's natural. Everything without our clothes and outdoors is natural. It was natural to get eaten by a lion too, but we've stopped that mainly. So I don't buy that argument. That's that's kind of the aliens looking at us laughing, thinking you're a primitive ape. You don't even realize that this is a problem.
0: Mm. Okay, now I want to, we don't have all the time to get into all of the supplements and everything. And I know, you know, based off of, if you haven't listened, go listen to, to David on, on Rogan and Ed Milet, But he, And he goes more into it there. But some of the supplements, I know you don't like to recommend, um, but some of the supplements that you take and that um, in your eyes potentially have helped you and you feel like are, are helpful in this anti-aging process?
1: Yeah, we, we don't call it anti-aging. Okay. Um, I don't anyway. Uh, we call it longevity, uh, longevity treatments and health span promoting okay. uh, because there's a lot of anti-aging stuff out there that's based on no science. Right. So we don't want to confuse what I do with okay. that. Uh, so yeah, what, what do I do to try and promote my health span and my longevity? Um, a couple of things before I tell you that. One is um, that uh, I know what's going to happen to my family and myself if we don't do anything. Right? That's your natural lifespan. Uh, and that's not pretty. So it's a risk-reward. So I make the calculation, I study the data, I look at hundreds if not thousands of papers, and I decide, is the risk worth it? And a lot of these treatments are not worth it. Right? There's, there's rapamycin, which is a drug that you can get, but it's got some toxic side effects. Is that worth it? Not yet. If I was 80, probably it would be. You see the calculation? My father's 80. And he's really got nothing to lose um, with taking a molecule that and he's living has no side effects. Uh, he's living probably in the top yeah. 1% of his age. I know.
0: I, I've heard all the, all the stories. He's uh, he, second career. He's active. He hikes. He does. Your dad's got it all right now.
1: And he wasn't always like that. And he certainly, in my family, we men don't live a long time. So he's already broken the record for our family. My father is on the same regimen that I am. Uh, essentially, which is uh, based out of my lab's research. Uh, The main three things that we take um, are resveratrol and NMN and then metformin, the diabetes drug. Uh, I also, now that I've said those things, um, just to make sure that every listener understands what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this is for every age. I'm not saying it's for everybody. Remember, there's a risk-reward here that you have to com- contemplate. And I'm not I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not recommending anything. I cannot do that. Um, and the fourth thing to re- remember is we're right on the cutting edge of human knowledge. In 20 years, this will be obvious whether it works or is worth it. But right now, we don't know. And you got to remember that. Uh, but there's a lot of animal data and some clinical trials that I'm aware of that most people are not. Uh, and that's what I base my decisions on.
0: Will you just briefly, like, very quickly... Uh... Summarize what NMN, resveratrol, sure. and uh, metformin do for for the for the I, for I people like myself who aren't super super familiar with all of what right. they what they encompass.
1: Sure. Well, I'll also give you the cheat sheet. Um, if you download or listen to to my book, it's it's listed out there in the book. It's page three hundred four is all of, of what I do and how much I take and when I take it. So that that's, but I can't spend the whole podcast describing that. Uh, and then also in, in, in earlier in the book, it describes why I think these work. So he, here's the summary. There are three main categories of longevity pathways, we call them, in the cells. In every cell, they're in plants, they're in animals, they're in us. And they get activated when the body thinks that it's under threat for su- survival, adversity. We call it hormesis in biology. What doesn't kill you makes you live longer. And those three groups of genes one of which we're well-known for in my lab called the sirtuins. They respond to how much NAD, which is a little molecule in your body, how much NAD is in the, is in the body. Now, you can boost NAD by uh, skipping a meal or two or exercising every few days. That's great. Um, but even that doesn't stop the slow decline of NAD in your body. And so I take the NMN molecule. NMN is what the body can use to supplement the, uh, the NAD levels. It's just the precursor to NAD. Uh, metformin activates the second class of longevity pathways. It's called AMPK or AMP kinase. And metformin, that drug that is used by millions, well, maybe even um, hundreds of millions of people around the world to treat their type 2 diabetes, uh, seems to, in those patients, protect them not just from diabetes, uh, but also from cancer and heart disease, frailty and Alzheimer's. Looking at hundreds of thousands of people. So that's pretty strong evidence that it's true. And those people who take the diabetic drug end up being healthier in those aspects than regular people. How cool is that? So I I take metformin even though I'm not yet officially diabetic according to the FDA. But then again, why wait till you get sick, right? It's better to prevent it in my view. And metformin is a very safe drug as drugs go. It's considered by the World Health, Health Organization as... uh, an essential medicine for humanity. And in many countries, you can get it over the counter, just not here in the U.S. And then the third one that I take uh, is resveratrol, uh, which is also sort of an activating molecule. And it's more like the accelerator pedal, and the NAD molecule is the gas. Um, I don't take a a molecule for the third class of regulator called mTOR, little M, capital T-O-R. And that is evol- had, that's evolved that complex in the cell to respond to how much you're eating in terms of protein. And low amounts of protein turn on the defenses through mTOR. Now, you need protein to survive, so you don't want to do what we do to the mice, which is restrict amino acids. And s- Mice that, are, that don't eat a lot of methionine, for example, live a long time. But what you can do is, is have your body have periods of low, lower amounts of protein. So I don't eat steak every day, like some people we, we mentioned, you mentioned. Um, I, so I, I don't think you'll die if you eat meat, but you do want to have periods where your body's hungry and isn't full of a bunch of amino acids. And I do that when I'm not building muscle or exos- having just exercised for obvious reasons.
0: So you've said that you'd like to, to reverse, or ideally down the line, maybe 20 or 30 years. But for right now, you're at a point where you feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, uh you feel like you can reverse aging by about a decade. correct? Would
1: Is that a fair assessment? Well, are you talking about the lifestyle that I have or the reprogramming? The reprogramming. Well, in the mouse, uh, we took a, a one-year-old mouse and made it see like it was a, a young mouse again, so two months. So that's a massive reversal in the eye. We don't know if we can do it in humans or in the whole body yet.
0: Now, say in humans you were able to do it by about a decade, is it then at that point with all these kind of supplements or drugs or whatever is created and given, is it then from that point on aging is reversed and then it is slowed down? Or how does it work once you the reversing would uh, occur per se?
1: Yeah, so an- another way to, to put it is, is, is the reprogramming, does that do away with everything else that, right. you know, that we're doing? I-, I don't think so. I mean, optimistically, all you need is one treatment and you're young again. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. I think what most likely is going to happen is that reprogramming will work really well, but not perfectly, and that you want to not go through too many rounds of reprogramming. And so you want to also be doing the kinds of things that I'm doing and and better to prevent you from having to be reprogrammed too many times.
0: So also, I'm, I'm curious, I know, I know you don't recommend do this or that, but say you were 20 years old, would you, would you recommend some of those supplements? Uh, w- do you think you would take some of those if you were that age? And would that at that point be maybe because you're younger, slow down your process of aging at that point? Is that a fair assessment?
1: Uh, right, perhaps? right. No, I'm asked that fairly frequently, how young should you start? Now, we know from calorie restriction, fasting, that the earlier you start with a mouse, the better. Okay. Okay. But not during puberty or growth or anything. You've got to be, reach maturity. But those mice do live 20%, 30% longer. But if you start it very late in life, the equivalent of 60-year-old, it doesn't work as well. So the earlier you start in a mouse, the better. That's a rule. Uh, But, you know, I'll I'll tell you something that that just occurred to me. I've been really fortunate that my research has come about at the right age for myself. So I've, you know, we had the resveratrol discovery when I was in my early 30s and I don't think I would have, probably wouldn't have started taking resveratrol earlier than that, right? And then along comes NMN and then uh, the metformin discovery and... I've been taking those pretty much at the right age for me, for me, right? Uh, But I will say for for anyone who's under 30, what you should consider. Um, I mean, the first is that your body already has really great longevity capability. The longevity defenses that I've talked about, your sirtuins, your NAD levels are probably already super active. Uh, When we treat young mice, for example, we don't see a massive benefit in their endurance. It's only when they get older and we can give them youth back again for their Their uh, endurance. Um, That said, though, if you combine exercise plus this NMN, we get these super mice that run. So far, the treadmill stopped working. But in general, young people don't need the boost. But what did I do in my 20s? You know, I I always like to talk about what did I do because it's not recommendation, but also I I think about this a lot. In my teens and 20s, uh, I spent a lot more time at the gym. I ate uh, food that was not. Heavy, So I started to cut out sugar when I was about 18 um, as best I could. And I also switched to um, mostly a plant diet, not everything. Um, I still eat pizza and crap like that. But yeah, my diet changed. My exercise went up. I used to actually be a lot stronger and fitter than I am now just because I'm so busy. But the all the good things about diet and exercise I was doing in my youth, that I'd say is... is really worth it. It pays off when you get to my age at 50, right? Because I've still got this underlying strength that I had in my 20s, even if it's not massively pumped up. So when I go to the gym now, and I do, uh, I'm a lot stronger than I would be if I started late in life.
0: Do you feel the pressure as um, do you feel the pressure to live longer because this is what (laughs) you you study?
1: it's funny I do now. I never did. Um, I used to joke that the only reason i want to live long is i can outlive all my enemies uh, and that's still true but i do find now that you can actually see my aging i mean for the in my 20s 30s and a lot of my 40s it wasn't really obvious and for my you can look at you know my brother as a comparison as a as a as a control negative control there wasn't much difference but i'm now at that heading towards the precipice of the cliff and you can see that people at 50 there is Massive difference in how they look and how they feel, and ten years from now it'll be even bigger. So I do I do feel the pressure now, um, to to be healthy, uh, to not look really old. Um, but you know I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not doing plastic surgery and all that stuff. I'm, but I, I do I do know that people look at me. Uh, I don't look at myself in the mirror. I'm not vain like that. But I do know that people judge me because they'll say, well, if this guy knows what he's talking about. He shouldn't look that old, um, so it's part of my credit, uh, carrying card kind of thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm 50 and I still have the same amount of hair I did when I was 20, and there's no gray yet, which is not bad for a 50 year old. And I feel as happy, healthy, s- as smart as I did when I was young.
0: I'm also curious. You said. You want to outlive your enemies. I'm sure, and I've and I've heard some of the stories from uh, previous interviews you've done of you know some of the harder times with especially in this field. But I'm curious, kind of as because I, I don't know that much about the scientific world, especially as an outsider looking in. But as an insider, how competitive and how is is the the field cutthroat? Is it you know does it get nasty in terms of uh, butting heads? I'm I'm curious as how that is on the inside how it can get.
1: Yeah. Well, if it wasn't exciting to make a new discovery, I would have quit this job a long time ago. And I'm also motivated by making a difference in the world. But there's a lot of negatives being a scientist. I usually don't say that because I, I don't want people to be turned off this career. There's no, no career where there isn't, you know, down, down days and problems. But being a scientist is, is incredibly difficult. You've, there are days where I, I don't want to get out of bed. Um, what what makes it particularly hard about being a scientist versus most professions, um, well, I'll list them, but the biggest one is that you're judged by your peers, meaning if you make an enemy, you got that enemy for life, and that person can bring you down if they want to. Um, make a lot of enemies, you're in trouble. Um, and if you start saying things that disrupt the order of science, which you know, I've, I've often done, then, you know, people get upset if you're challenging their whole career. So you've got to do that. But then what you've got to also consider is our currency as scientists are publications in really great journals and the way to get a paper or a grant, by the way, money that you need to pay everybody, including my own salary, you're being judged by your enemies, potential enemies. Mm. And get this, it's anonymous. How bad is that? That ev- imagine if if everything you produced in your career was given to your enemies anonymously, and they could say whatever they wanted. It's vicious, right? And you can spend, as we've done, ten years on this um, on this one pa- couple of papers that we've submitted, and it all just comes down to how people are feeling on the day or who it, who's looking at it. So that's really really hard. Ten years of work could just get blown up by someone anonymously. But you do have to take the long view that yeah, days will suck and you won't win all the time, but it's worth it in the end.
0: Now in terms of of legacy, I know you you always say or you have said um that you wanna, you know, change the world and leave it a little bit better than when you came into it, more or less.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you hope um the David Sinclair legacy is when it's all said and done, hopefully in a long, long, long time?
1: Oh, gee. Uh, Well, I hope that there are people alive then that wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, And I hope that that the expectation of human life is different because of what we've done as a group, my colleagues and I, and that they'll look back at today and say, this was the turning point in human discovery. And much like we look back at the 1920s for discovering the rocket and the airplane a bit earlier than that, that they'll say, oh, yeah, the early part of the 21st century is when they finally figured out that aging was a thing, that it was worth working on, and that it was due to a loss of information. And hopefully, cross your fingers, that it could be reset. You can
0: follow David on Instagram at David Sinclair PhD, on Twitter at David A. Sinclair. You can buy his book, which I recommend you do. So lifespan, why we age, and why we don't have to. There's also the audiobook, in a lot of languages. I heard it's
1: coming out. Uh, Spanish yeah. is coming.
0: Yep. Um, David, it was uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, I was, as I told you before we got started, I was listening to you on the Ed Milet uh, podcast. Great podcast. Go listen to that after you're done listening to this. And um, and he said, uh, I think when he introduced you that. Uh, the IQ in the room was 85% you and 15% him. I walked in here and I was like, it's going to be 95% him and 5% me. So it's a daunting task. Um, And I was, uh, it was a different, you know, when, when I walk into these uh, recordings, I have a feeling of what it could be like, but it's a very different ball game when you're, uh, speaking to someone who's just a professional and literally maybe perhaps the best at what they do, um, on earth. So, but it, but it's a true honor to, to have you on my show. And, uh, you know, hopefully in five years, when we'll get we'll go from a four to a six or a seven, uh, we can run it back in, in, perhaps in New York, Boston, wherever you want. So thank you so much, though.
1: That sounds good. Thanks, Felix.